I assume that uh, everybody's watching in their PJs. I don't have PJs, and so that's why I did not wear PJs this morning. But uh, I was thinking of the Christmas uh, song uh, just a few moments ago. Uh, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. And I want to say we need a lot of Jesus right this minute to uh, bring encouragement to, to our hearts. And so, Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to open the Word of God. And we know that there is great life and there is great encouragement found in the Word of God. And Jesus, you are the living Word. And so we pray that you will reveal your heart to us today. And we said together, amen. So in a recent uh, sermon, we learned that uh, Doug has joined the company of some really great men like Indiana Jones. They both are uh, afraid of snakes. They both fear snakes or they both hate snakes. Uh, I don't uh, like snakes, but I don't necessarily hate them either. Uh, My wife has taught me to uh, not use the word hate unless I really mean it. Uh, Don't use it as a hyperbole, if that's the right uh, terminology. So let me share with you some things that I really dislike, okay? Uh, Sorry, honey, I'm going to go with hate. So I hate being lied to. Um, I I hate when politicians make promises that they have no intentions of keeping. Uh, I hate that. I hate hate a corrupt media that uh, never retracts uh, a story when they have reportedly uh, gave the wrong information and, and, and they never really correct themselves. They're not humble enough to do that. Uh, I think basically uh, both these areas uh, think that the general public is a few short uh, fries short of a happy meal, however that goes. Uh, I also hate these commercials on TV. If you've ever seen them of these great Fantastic-looking sandwiches, you know, and uh, I mean they look so delicious. And then when you go to actually order uh, the sandwich itself, it doesn't look anything like it, you know. Uh, some years ago, and, and 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 it's Arby's that says we've got the meats, you know. Uh, but uh, some years ago, there was a little old lady by the name of Clara who used to do commercials for uh, Wendy's, and she would say, "Where's the beef?" Well, I'd like to bring Clara back and say, where's the meats? You know, because uh, they're not exactly telling the truth. And I hate, those, I hate those pesky car commercials. You know, the insurance commercials, the ones that in an attempt to be funny, they really insult our intelligence, right? Um, the one commercial that I did like, they don't run it anymore. Save, Jarvis saved 40%, you know? So here's the point, that we've been conditioned to expect less. Uh, We're living in a society with low expectations because we've often been either lied to, disappointed, or our intelligence has been insulted. Negativity and low expectations really kind of describe the world in which we live in right now. And there's there's nothing that they say you can do to change it. There's nothing that you can alter about it. Just kind of get used to it, you know, and, and that's the world in which we live, get used to it. I don't want to get used to it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we weren't created to live life with low expectations. In a book that our staff is presently reading through, it's titled, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. 
The author Louis Giglio writes this, you were created in the image of God. You were called to greatness. You are God's workmanship, a child of the king. God wants to set you free from anything that's holding you back. God wants you to live in the full potential of what he has for your life. And I think that if we're going to really live that out, then we've got to break free from this mindset of low expectations. It really is no wonder that Jesus said, this kingdom, is, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. It's of another worldly uh, attitude. Uh, he also said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, right? Uh, Jesus never made a promise that he could not also keep or fulfill. He doesn't lie to me. He doesn't insult my intelligence. No, Jesus is everything that we need and nothing that we don't need. He's the fairest of 10,000. And I want to talk to you about Jesus. That's the Hebrew writer's way of saying that, that there is none to compare to him, that he is, has no equal. And you know what Jesus does? He transforms our expectations. We now have a destiny that really is counterculture to the world in which we are living in now where there's doom and gloom as the, as the basic attitude. Here's just a couple of possibilities that Jesus mentioned. He said, expect signs and wonders to follow believers, that in my name they'll cast out demons, and in my name they'll heal the sick. Expect that the works that I do shall you do also in greater works than these, because I go to my heavenly Father. He said, expect that when you ask anything in my name, that you will have those things that you ask for. These are great expectations for us to enter into 2022, don't you think? So what's the key? How do we break away from this mindset of, of, that stifles our potential or this mindset of negativity and attitudes that really are kind of permeating our society right now? The answer is not found in something that we do. The answer is found in someone that we know, and that person is Jesus. And I love the way the Apostle Paul put this as a possibility. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want you to notice that the, the emphasis there is on the relationship between Paul and Jesus. It is Jesus who strengthens me. And I want you to understand this phrase. Intimacy with Jesus creates infinite possibilities. Intimacy with Jesus creates infinite possibilities. I love the sign that Doug has hanging uh, behind his desk over at the property. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? I think he's also got a similar sign in his house as well. That's not only expression of what the greatness of God can be and do, but it's also, it's also a mindset that rejects failure and disappointment. It's counterculture to uh, an age of doom and gloom and low expectations. At a community group meeting that we had at my home some, some time ago, I said, guys, I want to pose this question to you, and I really want you to think about the answer. But before I do that, let me kind of give you a contrast. I said, when I fell in love with my wife, Kathy, I said, I fell in love with her for these reasons. Number one, she's really smart, and she still is. Number two, she's beautiful, and she still is. Number three, she is the most tender-hearted person that I know, and she really knows how to dance. Amen. So I said, here's the, here's, the, here's the question that I want to ask in relationship to what I just shared with you. What is it about Jesus that you love the most? What is it about Jesus that you love? Now, I know the scripture says we love him because 
he first loved us. But what is it about Jesus that you love specifically? And some in the group said, they gave answers like this. Well, they, they love his mercy and his unconditional love and his grace. Another said, I love that his presence is ever with me throughout the day. Another said, I love that we have perfect and complete forgiveness in Christ. And I said, guys, there is no wrong answer. But let me tell you what I love about Jesus above all else. I love his humanity. I love his humanness. I love the man, Christ Jesus, and all that is made possible because he has come. The second person of the Godhead has become one of us and is joined in our identity. I want you to listen to this statement. We have no confidence in ourselves. But we glory in, and here's the phrase, the man Christ Jesus. Again, here's a phrase for us to consider. There is one God, one mediator between God and man. Again, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. I think what Paul is saying is that we find our greatest joy, our greatest strength, our greatest pleasure in the person who has identified with our humanity, the man Christ Jesus. And all that comes out of our relationship to him and the expectation that he has made us heirs of God and he's made us joint heirs with Christ. Infinite possibilities. Jesus stands apart from every living being. He is uniquely God and he's also uniquely man. He doesn't merely have life the way we've been given life. No, he's the author of life. He's the way, truth, and the life. And he gives life to those whom he wills. One of the titles revealed in the New Testament that really kind of puts this message into perspective is what Paul said about Jesus, that he was, and here's the title, the last Adam, the second man. The last Adam, the second man. Please don't ever mix up those two terms. It drives me crazy when I hear people do that. Uh, he, he, he is not the second Adam. There will never be another Adam as the head of a the human race, and Jesus is the head of a new species of beings, and we who have been born again are members of his body and of his flesh. He is the last Adam, because there'll never be another one. He's the perfect son of God, the son of man who has come to accomplish all that the first man failed to achieve. He's the second man and the head of a new species of humans. Our expectations have been so elevated in him because he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think. And I want you to understand this, that Jesus did nothing apart from a man being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was spirit-filled, and he, did, he didn't begin his ministry until he was baptized and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he began his, his miracle ministry at that point and, he, and his preaching ministry as well. And what I want you to understand is that the same spirit that Jesus received, he now sends to us that he might dwell with us and in us. Adam was created from the ground, but the last Adam is the Lord from heaven arriving on planet earth by a special act of God we call the the incarnation, or theologians call it the hypostatic union. That is God and man united in one person, two distinct natures, two distinct consciousness, one glorious person. 
The virgin birth of Jesus broke the pattern of natural birth and therefore it also severed him or separated him from a sinful nature, a nature that we inherit from Adam. But he did not inherit because his father was the father of God. The first man entered into a covenant with God based upon obedience and based upon works. And he failed miserably. And when he failed, we failed in him. When he became sinful, we became sinful in him. But but by the obedience of the one new man, Christ Jesus, believers are gifted with righteousness. Because of Adam's disobedience, death came into the world, and therefore death reigns until Christ Jesus came. Like a virus, it infected all of us. In contrast, life comes to those that are in Christ because of his perfect obedience. And one of the most profound truths I think that we can get a handle on today in the New, in the New Testament is this fact that Jesus is not ashamed to call us members of his family. Nothing has so exalted the human race as when the second person of the Godhead chose to become one with us in identity, flesh, and blood. This is really important. The relationship between Jesus and his followers has not changed even after Jesus' triumphal entry into heaven. I mean, think about that. The glorified Jesus has that same intimate relationship with believers today and, and this is seen in, in John the disciple, who we later know as John the apostle. At the Last Supper, John was comfortable enough to lay his head on Jesus. Now in Revelation chapter 1, when, when John sees the, the exalted Son of God, Son of Man, now standing there, glorious, he falls at his feet as if he was dead. He just passes out. There's no strength. But Jesus stretches his hand to touch John, to comfort his trembling soul, to show us that that relationship is still the same, that he is still the one who cares for us. As a man, Jesus achieved what you and I could have never accomplished. He fulfilled the old covenant, and he established a new covenant based upon better promises, a covenant based upon grace and not of works. Because his human nature wasn't infected by the disease of Adam's sin. Therefore, he is man's only hope. And he's our only hope to live this exceptional life where, 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 where there is no limitations for us. Man lost paradise. And therefore, if paradise is to be restored, it has to be by a man. But it has to be a perfect man. And that perfect man is Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus is approachable. He's touchable, he's relatable, he's incredibly tender-hearted. he empathizes with our struggles and with our weaknesses. Uh, my wife knows I love watching chefs compete on uh, the Food Network, especially uh, Beat Bobby Flay, but I'll never root for or, or hope for a chef in, as they're competing if somebody is arrogant, if somebody is haughty and proud, because that's so unattractive. But the attractiveness of Jesus is his humility. It kind of draws our soul out to want to know him more. In his humanity, he was hungry and thirsty, and he was weary in need of a good night's sleep, just like many of us right now. 
I love the fact that Jesus identifies with flawed human beings, but his commitment is to transform those whom he saves. I spoke to someone who said, you know what, this is all incredibly unfair. You know, uh, it's, it just doesn't seem right. Adam is the one who, who sinned. Why should I be punished alongside of Adam? I'm, I'm not the one who broke the commandment uh, and eating of the forbidden tree. It was Adam. It's all on Adam. Yeah, that is true. And you know, that's a really good point. It, it does seem to be unfair. When, unless you think of it this way, that now it's all on Jesus. There's either one of two ways in which you can view yourself. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. If you are in Adam, then death will pursue you. But if you are in Christ, you have already passed from death into life. Talk about unfair. What was, what was fair about Jesus being falsely accused, beaten, lashed with uh, his back, literally being ripped open to the bone? What was fair about Jesus uh, who lived this perfect life, uh, falsely accused, uh, cut off from the land of the living, nailed to the cross. What, what was fair about that? There was nothing fair about that. Thank God there was nothing fair about that. But it was the Father who sent his Son to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. This is the foundation upon which we can build an incredible life of possibilities because of all that Jesus endured. Adam was created with dignity and honor. He was destined to rule over God's creation, and God gave him authority over the creation. But he blew it, and therefore pain and sorrow ensued. And the consequences of the, of the fall is that paradise was lost. But Christ came not merely to restore what was lost, but to add something that was much better, a life where grace conquers disappointments, a life where we're where free from low expectations and a doom and gloom kind of mindset. Jesus restores all that was lost. And this is most important. He guarantees that we will never lose it again. We will never lose what Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us. You know, it's not like the sword of, was it Diamatrichis? What's this guy? That sword's not hanging over our head. We will never lose what Jesus Christ has purchased for us. Let me kind of close with some, some thoughts now. A desperate father whose boy is being tormented by a, an evil spirit comes to Jesus, but Jesus is not around. This, this demonic entity would try to throw the boy into the water to drown him or throw him into the fire to destroy him. And, and I just can't imagine the desperateness of this father who felt absolutely helpless and hopeless to see his child being tormented like this. And so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is not around. Apparently, Jesus is busy on a mountaintop. He's talking with Moses and Elijah about his decease, which would soon be accomplished. So the disciple says, yeah, we, we got this, guys. We, we've done this before. We've, we've cast out demons, and they try to cast the spirit out of this boy with no success, which only compounds the father's hopelessness and the torment that the, both father and child are going through. When Jesus does come on the scene, in desperation, the father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, please help my son. Right? Great question. If you can do anything. But Jesus turns the question around and lays it upon the father and says, if you can believe, 
all things are possible. You know, it's not the first time Jesus turned over a, an impossible situation and, and asked the person who's requesting something for, for their perspective. Do they have a low expectation? At the graveside of, of Lazarus, Jesus orders that the stone should be rolled away, and Martha, Martha speaks up and she says, she says, Lord, my brother's been dead for four days. By this time, his body really smells bad. What did Jesus say? Oh, Martha, why didn't I think of that? I was just so glad you brought that up. We all, you just saved us all from being embarrassed. No, Jesus didn't say that at all. What did he say? He said, did not I tell you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God? Sounds like Jesus is requiring those that follow him to have great expectations, to put their trust and their confidence in his ability that that we can do all things through the Christ who strengthens us. Remember Doug sign I said a little while ago, since when has impossible ever stopped you? I think the implication there is that he's speaking to, to Martha and to this, this desperate father, that, that same kind of truth. Is, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything that's impossible for me to do? It seems obvious to me that the Lord is, is, is speaking to living word right now, especially during this difficult time of, uh, of, a, of a pandemic, of economic uh, upheaval in our own society. I, I think it's no small thing for us to remember that God took our lead pastor and plucked him out of the jaws of death. That's not a small thing. To me, that tells me that there is a destiny for this ministry that is yet to be fulfilled. There's a destiny that this church is designed to have a great impact on our community of souls being brought into the kingdom of God, of bodies being healed, and of seeing the vision fulfilled that God has laid upon the leadership of this church. It's our intimate relationship with Jesus that lifts up our confidence and says that through our intimacy with Jesus, all things are possible. This is a call to shake off all that is negative and to have a mindset of great expectations. 2022, I'm going to declare it to be a year of breakthrough, a breakthrough for all of us in so many ways. About a year ago, right, uh, just around this time, uh, there were hundreds and hundreds of people who were praying for Doug, praying that God would spare Doug's life. Many of us in this room, many of us watching over the stream right now, we're praying fervently for Doug. But there was one person, one person who above everyone else wrestled with God and said, God, I'm not going to let you go until you rescue my husband. My wife and I, we, we were with Kelly during those difficult moments and we heard our daughter pray like a furious lioness and not let go of God. In fact, I remember very distinctively being so proud of her when she said to two doctors, when she was allowed to go visit, she, she said, don't you go back in that room and speak hopelessly to my husband. He is going to come home to us. And I was never so proud as when I saw my, my daughter fight for her husband. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have going into 2022 that we will not be denied. Our family at Christmas time, we uh, we uh, 
we're going to uh, just say grace, you know, as we normally do. Um, we gather around the table, and I looked over to my right. My wife had tears streaming down her face. And uh, I knew why she was crying. It was because she was thinking, Here, here's, here's the Christmas that we could have been having without Doug sitting at the table, but Doug was on the other end of the table. And I knew what she was thinking. And thank God that God is gracious to us. But you know what? In this last year, there's been many times that my wife and I have faced something difficult or some obstacle, and, and she would say, yeah, honey, it's hard, but at least Doug's alive. <laughs> at least Doug's alive. And uh, she's used that on me a number of times. I want to kind of show you this picture, if, if we can show that, of this little four-year-old by the name of David. And uh, he's got this, can you see the photo? There's a photo there of David. Anyway, I'll, I'll tell you what he's got. He's, he's got this static electricity going on. And it's, I don't, maybe, maybe, it's just, maybe that's just the way he, his hair normally is, right? But uh, there was a pediatric nurse who uh, kind of wrote this uh, little, little story about, about David. See, what she would try to do, she would try to make her patients feel comfortable. And, of course, children in the pediatric ward, you know, it's a frightening thing to, for a child to be in the hospital. And so she would try to connect with the kids uh, the best way she knew how. And one of the things that she would do as she was examining the children, she would take a stethoscope and put the earpiece into the child's ear and let them hear their own heartbeat. And uh, usually, you know, kids would, would just kind of get this great big, uh, wonderful look on their face like, wow, what, what, what is that, right? Well, she never expected what this little kid David would say to her. When she, when she took the, the round disc and she placed it against his heart and she said this, what do you suppose that is? And his eyes kind of narrowed for, his eyebrows narrowed for a moment and he thought about it. Then all of a sudden, he smiled, this great big smile. And he asked this question. He says, is that Jesus knocking? Well, I want to tell you that this message is Jesus knocking. And this is what he's telling us. Don't let the world in which we live in limit your possibilities. Don't be conformed to this age of low expectations. Don't allow the disappointments of the past predict your future. Let's believe 2022 is going to be a year of breakthrough. Let's believe that an amazing facility right down the road is going to be completed. Let's believe, God, that the best is yet to come. Let's encourage one another so that we can be expecting great and marvelous things. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Now, I want to pray for us as a church and as a community in just a moment. But, but first, if you're listening to the stream today, and I, I, I said this, that Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation, that he is the only one whereby we must be saved. If, if you're listening to this stream and something's tugging on your heart today, and Jesus is, is the one that's knocking on your heart as well, would we, we, we just kind of pray with me like this? Say, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that God raised you from the dead.
and I believe that you love me. And if you would do that, that would be just awesome if you could let us know. But I just want to pray for, for us as a community. So Father, I thank you, Lord God, for this, this challenge that has gone forth today, that we would believe for the, the unbelievable, that we would believe you, oh God, with great expectations, no longer being limited, but but believing that statement that was read from Louis Giglio, that God, you have great things in store for us, that you want to set us free from low expectations. And I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage people today, wherever they are hearing this message, and that we would enter 2022 with this knowledge that this is the year of breakthrough for each and every one of us. Amen.